There we go. Whoa. Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. Good morning. Well, sorry for the delay. Yep. Welcome all to First EC this morning. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here on Zoom. If you're visiting with us, um, please feel free to fill out a card that's in the back, put it in the offering plate. We'd love to know that you were here. Love to know a little bit about how to contact you. We had a lot of fun last night, huh? Anybody was here? Yeah, we had a great time, didn't we? We enjoyed a, a lot of great soup. Um, in fact, I've been told that they wanted to get the recipes together. So if you're willing to share your recipe, um, leave out that one secret ingredient. It's okay. Um, but it sounds like Ginny was willing to gather the recipes, and she, she'd get them together and get them out. I guess somehow we'll let you know how it's going to be made available to everybody. But um, those who were here, if you would share your recipe with with Jenny, she'll gather them and get them out. So we had a great time. Um, all ages were there having fun with all kinds of different games as well. Then afterwards, I was amazed at the, uh, the knowledge for some of the trivia, especially the children with their, their Disney trivia. They, they knew that stuff pretty well. We got a couple more things coming up this week. If you see in your bulletin, I'm just going to highlight but um, some important stuff coming up. The council meeting is this week. On Thursday night, so make sure you get your reports in. Also, then on um, Wednesday at eight or at one o'clock, there's going to be some more fleece blankets being made. You'll see that in here. Get the details there. And then, uh, just want to keep reminding you about the congregational meeting coming up. Um, I guess that's in uh, two weeks, February twelfth. No, one week, February twelfth. Um, that'll be next next Sunday that we'll have that meeting. And um, there's other stuff in here. Please pay attention to it. Get the word out that I want to meet with the, with the youth uh, for, for ice cream and then also the 20-somethings for ice cream. So I sent out individual invitations to a couple of 20-somethings that I knew the addresses for. But if you know some, or just double-check with them. Hey, did you get an invitation from Pastor Jeff? If they didn't, tell them please not to be offended. It just means I didn't have their address, but I would love to see them, and then I can get their address, and they can be on the next invitation mailing list. So, anything else that we need to, to know, need to share this morning regarding our, our schedule? Anything coming up for the, the, the family that we need to, need to share with each other? Okay, well then let's, let's just pause for a second and... Um, Prepare for worship. Let's pray. Good morning. Good morning, Father. We're here to worship you. We're here because we love you. We're here because we're taking this one day out of the week to just stop and to rest in you, but to also lift up our praises to you. Father, I pray that everything that we sing, say, and do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In all the excitement, I took, <laughs> took my finger out of the Bible. This morning's, this morning's call to worship, I'm, I'm taking from Matthew 5, where we're reminded that we are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father 
in heaven. I know that the praise band is going to have us sing a song about being salt and light. So let's stand and let's join with them and sing our praises this morning.
Take a moment to greet a neighbor. you to find your way back to your seats. Love the fellowship. I, I love, that's, that's part of worship. <laughs> Let's take a moment to lift up any praises, any prayer requests that we have from, from this week. As far as I know, um, all, the, all the blankets made it to those people who they were designated for. Um, anybody know any differently? Or can confirm that. I think we had different people that went different ways with them. And as far as I know, like I said, I'm pretty sure they all, all made it to those who needed it. And of course, when we were here last week, we recognized that 
God had his mind has had one of those in mind for for someone who needed it that that morning. So, um, any any other praises? Any prayer requests? Dave. Just a praise again for last night. It was a great night together for uh, us to gather together as a congregation and also to play a lot of games and have soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a great night of fellowship. We we'll have to create some sort of through the year progressive meal. I I know there were some who were, even the younger ones who were there who weren't soup people. They told us. Um, so we'll have to have something more like macaroni and cheese and, and uh, chicken nuggets or something. And then, and then another time we'll have a dessert get-together and game night. So, so what you got for us, Ron? Okay, Donna's back hurts her so bad that that's why she couldn't come to church. And my blood pressure's uh, sky high, so I've got to be watching it and taking new pills. Okay, thank you. My wife, Joyce, uh, had her pacemaker put in about a week and a half ago, and it's been a slow go for her. Um, she just got over a, a pretty bad cold, and uh, this past week, why we had an occurrence where, in the middle of the night, of course, where I had to take her down to the hospital, and uh, she had pains going up and down her, her left arm, going into the pacemaker area, so we didn't know what was going on. Uh, after six hours in the ER, we finally got some answers that uh, uh, when they put the pacemaker in, there was some nerve uh, aggravation from the arm up into the area, and that's what was causing the, the pain. So now we know that and we know what to look for, but she's making a slow recovery and uh, hope to get back into church here soon. Yeah, we look forward to seeing her, look forward to her healing. Yeah, thank you. And it, I love the way you said, of course it was middle of the night. Those things don't happen at a convenient time, do they? Anything else? Okay. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord. Well, Father, again, we want to thank you, um, recognizing that today is another gift from you. We thank you for this day and this opportunity to come together we thank you that you are listening and that you want us to, to lift up our concerns to you. We pray for these people who, who are dealing with, with ailments, with injuries, with healing. We ask you to, uh, to touch Donna's back and to give her some, give her some comfort and uh, relieve that pain. Just loosen those muscles, whatever the, whatever the problem might be. We just pray for your your comforting touch there. And we also ask you to, to help doctors and, and nurses and whoever else to, to help Ron with his blood pressure. We ask you to, to watch over him and to, to get that blood pressure back to where it should be. We thank you that you were able to give some, some clarity to Joyce's pain. And uh, we pray that that, that wouldn't uh, happen again, if, that you could, uh, you could just heal that nerve heal that pain and just that she wouldn't have to, to deal with it anymore. But we thank you that in her mind, if she does feel it, she won't feel the anxiety and the uncertainty. She'll know, she'll know what the, the situation is. 
We do praise you, Lord, for allowing us to get together last night and have this great night of fellowship. We thank you that we can come together this morning for a a great morning of fellowship, but this morning our, our focus is on you. And so, Father, I thank you for all that you do for us, all that you provide for us. We thank you for the jobs and the, and the income that we're able to, to receive through the week. We take an offering this morning and we, we ask you to, to bless it. We ask you to use it and find a way that it can be used to further your kingdom and your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, in light of that idea, I know that there's a, a tradition, and we've been talking about some, of, some religious traditions, things that should go, things that should stay, and a lot of the traditions are okay, it's just a matter of not doing them every single week, where they become something that's expected, and, and it's ex- assumed that that has to happen. One of the things that you know, we used to do, and, and haven't done in quite a while, is to, to sing our doxology, and I wanted to do that this morning as another way of recognizing and remembering um, that God is providing all those things for us, and um, we just want to thank him for that, and I think we're, we're going to have the word. I know it's been a while, so maybe there's some who um, can't remember the words, but I asked, um, I asked Gloria this morning about that, and I said, do you want to just not do it because you haven't had a chance to practice. She says, I've been playing that for years. (laughs) She's had years of practice. So let's just take a moment and thank God for what he provides for us by singing the doxology. If you'll oblige me, I just want to share a quick story. Um, at, the, at the Cumberland Vista, at the group home, um, we would sing this on Tuesday evenings for their, at their meal before they would eat. And of course, many of them didn't necessarily know the words completely right, but it didn't matter. They were singing to the Lord. But we had one, one of the women that would um, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. Here we go. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I started to correct her, and I said, no, I like that. Here we go. <laughs> so that's my memory of, of Teresa that was at the, at the home. <laughs> let's take, um, take another opportunity here. I'm going to ask you to stand, and let's sing hymn number 119 as we continue to sing our praises to the Lord.
Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we have been mentioning, and even that last verse, you know, maybe you feel like you're wondering how, how appropriate that is that you know, we're talking about him, Jesus on the cross and so forth, but that song was about his entire life, his entire ministry. And we're going through the book of Luke and taking a look at why, why he ended up on the cross. How, how, did, how was there so much public opinion, so much hate for him that he would, that he would um, be called to be crucified? And while we're looking at those that don't appreciate him, today we're actually going to look at, at a couple of people who, who did. Um, there, there were quite a few people that appreciated the fact that he was healing, he was doing some miracle working and so forth. And today um, the, the title of the sermon is All Lives Matter to God. <laughs> I had several different ways I was going to go with it. All Lives Matter to God. We're going to see that today that even those lives that society doesn't see as very important and that, um, that don't matter to them, we're going to see Jesus step, uh, step up and demonstrate just how much they do matter. As I said, uh, too, we're not going to take every single verse through Luke. We're going to bounce around a little bit. So we are taking kind of a big leap today. We're jumping up to chapter 8. And um, in the meantime, he's been, he's been doing more miracles. He's been telling some parables, he's been raising a widow's son, he's been doing all kinds of wonderful things. We're going to catch up in, in verse 8, we're going to slow down here and catch him as he has um, gone to the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is just an oversized lake, really, it's just a, a big lake that they can travel from one side to the other, probably like in an afternoon, sometime during the day, and um, Jesus had said something to his disciples about heading over to the other side of the lake. And I think he just wanted a nice, peaceful boat ride because they got in and, and, and it says about how he went to sleep. But he wasn't sleeping very long before the way, the, the sto- a storm came up, the waves got bad, the disciples got scared. It says that the boat was being swamped. The, the, the disciples were worried we're going to drown. They woke him up and Jesus um, gets up and it says he re- rebuked the wind and the raging waters. Now you can imagine that however you want. I see him kind of leaning up and saying, cut it out. <laughs> Just, that's enough, whatever. Somehow he's rebuking the wind and the storm and so forth. And so he shows his authority over the natural, over, over the natural forces. And even his disciples were amazed, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. And then he goes on, they, uh, they ended up going through a place where a man had several demons in him, and he, his, he, he gets those demons out of that man, they, they go jumping pigs, and the pigs go off and they drown, and people are afraid of him, and they send him out of town. So his time over on that side of the lake wasn't, uh, it, it was okay, it wasn't so wonderful, it didn't end so wonderful there, um, although it was for the man that had the demons brought out from him, but um, they end up sending Jesus back over. He has, he, they get in the boat, and they come back over across the lake. And that's where we pick it up today, in chapter 8, starting in verse 40. As the disciples and Jesus are in their boat, they're coming back over to this side of the lake. 
And like so many other times when you're reading him going from one side of the lake to the other, they always see him coming, they always go taking off and walking, running, whatever, and there's always a crowd to meet him. There's always someone there. As I said last week, he is a celebrity now. Everybody knows him. They either love him or they hate him, but everybody knows who he is and they know what he's doing. So this morning, we're picking up in chapter 8, starting in verse 40, and it says, Now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him. A group had gathered. They knew he was coming. They could probably even see him out there. Like I said, it's, not a, it's, it's a, just an oversized lake. And they know which boat he's in. And they take off, and they're there to, to welcome him. For they were all expecting him. They know he's on that boat. And in part of that crowd, there's a man from the synagogue, a leader of the synagogue. Verse 41 says, a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. Now, you've already... St- read ahead, but just forget about that part for a second. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue. That means he's a prominent member. He's probably the prominent member of society there in that town. He's the one that people are going to go to for answers, um, for judgments. Uh, He's the one that decides at the church or at the synagogue what scripture is going to be read, who's going to read it. If you want to put it kind of like in modern terms, he's the one that would decide what praise songs they're going to sing, what hymns they're going to sing. And he's the one in charge. He is the one that people respect so much. Probably when he comes out and walks through the crowd, I picture people kind of taking a step back, making room for him. He, he commands respect. He is this man who is a prominent, prominent citizen of the community. And he's part of this crowd, and it says he's there, and he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, that's not what prominent members of society do. This is tremendously humbling, somewhat embarrassing. It's, it, he's, he is just putting all of that vanity aside. He has dropped at Jesus' feet, it says, pleading with Jesus to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. He is not only falling at his feet, he is imploring, he's pleading, he's begging Jesus to come to his house. He is approaching Jesus out of desperation. He sees Jesus as his only hope for his only daughter. This girl is about 12, so we don't know if she's just a shade under 12 or just a shade over 12, but when they're 12, they're no longer considered minors. This is when they start to prepare them. By 13, she would probably be married, and she'd be off on her own as an adult. So she's still daddy's little girl, and she's been the only daddy's little girl. It's the only daughter he has. He's been watching over her, taking care of her. He's been everything to her for for almost 12 years now. And now she's dying. And I think about how he probably was able to take care of everything else, fix everything else. We as guys, as dads especially. You know, when somebody comes to us, we get a call that, oh, you know, I just just got a flat tire by the side of the road. Don't worry, sweetie, I'll be right there. We'll take care of it, you know. Oh, dad, I just broke this or that. Don't worry, sweetie, we can buy another. You know, he probably always had an answer. He was able to fix it. But she's dying. He can't fix that. That's not something that he can do. And so now he's hearing, he he knows about this. He's hearing that Jesus is coming. Jesus 
is my only hope. And so he's coming to Jesus in desperation, pleading for him to come back to see his daughter because she's dying. Apparently Jesus is okay with the idea because we just see the next sentence says, as Jesus was on his way. So they take off toward the house. I see Jairus in, in front, kind of you know, hoofing it pretty quickly. He wants to get back to the house, got to get back there for the girl. Jesus is behind them following, and I see his disciples sort of as a group following behind him. And they're taken off toward Jairus' house. But it says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So kind of picture them as they're taking off through the crowd. They might, they might part a little bit for Jairus as he's coming through, but then they sort of flow right back in. They, they want to get close to Jesus. Everybody's bumping Jesus. Everybody's in there close to Jesus. And I, I think of a, for anybody who's, who's about my age or older, I'm thinking of the shopping mall, the Saturday before Christmas. That's how tight it is. That's why I don't like to go. <laughs> and I don't think it's that bad anymore because now we've got online shopping. So for those younger ones, and this isn't going to make sense to some of you, think about a mosh pit. You know what a mosh yeah, okay, you know pit is. And those things can get tight, right? And Jesus is walking through this thing, being bounced around probably a little bit as people are walking through super tight, rubbing elbows, bumping elbows. And I think about, like I said, the mall where somebody will just dart in front of you to do something and then somebody else will come along behind you and bump your elbow. And you're just, oh, you just got to get home. He's walking through this crowd this way. And, and it says that the crowd almost crushed him. Now, this is just coincidence. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to match this story with the parable, but it just so happens that at the beginning of chapter 8, when he's talking about the parable of the sower, and how he's talking about throwing the seed on different soils, one of those where he says, other seed fell among the thorns, remember, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Now that same word, that word there for choked the plants, that's the same word that's used over here for how the, the, the crowd is crushing him. So, so you can think about how tight this, this uh, crowd is as they're walking through. And a woman was there. In the crowd there was a woman who really shouldn't be there. This is what, there's a woman here who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. She's been having this ailment, this condition for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She's been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Mark's account says she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's got a condition that no one can help. No one can take care of. She has tried so many different things, tried so many different doctors. Her life savings is spent. No one has had any help for her. So she's approaching Jesus out of desperation as her last hope. She knows, she feels that if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. This is what Mark, Mark's account tells us. And so in verse 43 where we have this woman who was there. She's been bleeding for 12 years, which makes her unclean, by the way. The Levitical law, if you go back into Leviticus and you start looking at all the, the rules about a woman 
when she has a, a flow of blood, and if it's a, um, a regular flow of blood, I'm just scanning for children here. When, when, it, when the woman has a regular flow of blood, that impurity lasts seven days, and anyone who touches her is unclean until the evening. But anything she touches, anything she lies on, sits on, all these different things, it, she makes people unclean just by touching them. She makes things unclean. If, if she makes that, touches that pew or sits down on that pew, now it's unclean. And if you sit on it, now you're unclean. There's, there's just all of this that, is, that she has to live with now by having this daily discharge of blood. And there's so many different rules, but when she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days. And after that, she will be ceremonial, un, ceremonially clean. So every day she has to reset the clock. Every day she has this bleeding condition and she knows she won't be clean for at least another seven days, another eight days. She's got to wait till tomorrow to see if she's clean and then count off seven more days. So this woman is cut off from the community. She has no connection with the community now. If she had been married, she'd be divorced by now. The husband might have might have um, stayed with her for just a little while, but when he saw that this condition was not changing, he would have divorced her because he would be unclean being, a, being anything he touched that she touched and so forth. So this woman, this poor woman, is just completely cut off from community. She's there trying to sneak up on Jesus. She wants to stay under the radar She's probably in some kind of garb that has a hood, keeping her head down. She's sneaky, because if, if anybody saw her and knew that she was out here in this crowd, she would be in big, big trouble. She should not be there where she's touching people and making everybody unclean. So her idea was just to sneak up, have sort of a drive-by healing, you know, a little hit and run, just touch Jesus' garment and step away and, and, and go, and nobody would know any difference, and she would just be healed. She knows that if she touches his cloak, she'll be healed. So she comes up from behind him in verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Mark's account even says, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She could tell. She could feel something. She could just tell that she was healed. It worked. It's great. She's taking the time to stand there and process, maybe even, yes, I'm healed. This is wonderful. And as soon as that happens, she hears, who touched me? Jesus, in verse 45, right away says, who touched me? Now, this is kind of silly to the disciples and to Peter Captain Obvious, he says, first of all, it's funny that when all denied it, okay, everybody has been bumping into Jesus, and Jesus says, who touched me? And everybody, who? It wasn't me. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. Must have been him. You know? Nobody wants to admit. Everybody was touching him. But he, but he says, when, when all have denied it, Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. What he's not saying but saying is, Come on, Jesus, that's a silly question. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knows that someone touched him in a different way. 
Yes, he knows that everybody's been bumping into him. Yes, he knows people have been touching him also. But somebody touched him intentionally. Somebody had touched him with a purpose. That's one of the things that I know when I'm sitting on the couch and, and Vicky's sitting beside me and we're watching TV and she, you know, she might just be reading or something. And if she happens to move her arm, especially when I have a short sleeve shirt on, if it just barely touches like the hairs of my arm, you know, just touches a little, I'll, I'll tend to adjust. I'll move a little bit. And, and, then, and then maybe she, th- you know, she might say, you know, don't you like me touching your arm? Well, yeah, I do. If it's intentional, it's, that, it's when it's that accidental kind of thing. You know, that's, when I, that's when I move. Jesus knows that this was not accidental. This was not bumping into him like everybody else was doing. This was somebody touching him in a very intentional way, he, doesn't, he probably, probably does know her desperation. He knows who touched him. So why is he calling her out? He says in verse 46, yes, I know, you know, it's like, yes, I know everybody's bumping into me, but he says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. He knows he felt something, just like she felt. She felt something. She felt this healing. She felt this power. He felt the power going out of him. Now, don't, don't think that that made him any weaker at all. He's the source, okay? So he still has 100% of his power, but he knows that some of it left and went to someone else as well. And so he's calling her out. He doesn't want her to just sneak away. He does this out of love. He says, I know that power has gone out of me. Someone touched me. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, first of all, I figure she knows that Jesus is probably even looking at her, you know, he's looking right at her, who touched me? You know? <laughs> and she knows that he knows it's her. But also, I bet when those guys, when he said, who touched me, and everybody said, not me, they probably took like a step back, no, anybody in the army or you see these movies, like, you know, do we have any volunteers? And everybody steps back but one. He just, it's like he just stepped forward. I have a feeling all of a sudden she's there in the, in the perimeter. They've all stepped back a little bit. She, was, she hadn't been running off. She's, she's just been healed, and she just realized it, and boom, just as quickly, all of a sudden, it's kind of opened up. Somehow, she, can't, she knows she can't be hidden anymore. And so she comes trembling, and she fell at his feet. So we, once again, we see someone humbling themselves, falling at Jesus' feet. She's scared. She's embarrassed. She, didn't, she came in fully hidden because she didn't want people to know who she was. She didn't want people to know her story. She didn't want people to know about her shame. Jesus has called her out now. Who touched me? So she comes forward. She knows she has to tell them. And in the presence of all the people, she gave her testimony. She testified. She told why she had touched him. She tells them all about how she just knew that all I have to do is touch his garment. I've had this illness, this condition for 12 years. She tells them all about the agony, all about how she's been cut off from community and from family. She tells them why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And I think the part of that too is the fact that Jesus is having her tell that so that there is no doubt, those people who have witnessed, including Jairus, now I know we've forgotten about him, 
But he's still down here. He's down here tapping his toes because he can't believe that Jesus is taking the time to deal with this woman when his daughter is dying back at the house, right? But in this moment, Jairus is hearing Jesus having this communication with this woman who tells everybody that she's healed. And she doesn't have to try to explain it to somebody else, to another priest on another day, and are you sure, and so forth. It's a guarantee now. They have all seen it, and Jesus seals it then. In verse 48, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter. This woman has no relationship with anyone now. She's, she can't even, she's not connected with the community. She's probably not connected with any family. This woman's cut off, and Jesus calls her daughter. He restores that relationship. He, he demonstrates how all lives matter to God, how much her life matters to him and to, and to God. Daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Remember how we talked about shalom, that wholeness. She is now whole again, as much as she can be at this point. Now she still has to wait her seven days, you know, and the, the whole Levitical law and so forth, but now she can get on with her life. The, the, the clock has stopped. She doesn't have to reset. Now it's, she's down to seven days when she can get back out to meeting the ladies at the well and talking about the guys down at the other end of the city. She can bake a loaf of bread for somebody and hand it to them, and they can take it from her with gratitude. She can be a part of the community again. Jesus is taking her from, from just surviving to now thriving. It's the same thing he did with the man last week with the shriveled hand. No, you're not supposed to heal him on a Sunday. He's here the need is here, Jesus is here, Jesus takes care of it. Because he knows that by fixing that, healing that, that, that man tomorrow can be a part of society again. He took that man from just surviving to actually thriving. And so, he has the woman testify, he tells her that her faith has healed her, and he tells her to go in peace. And while that conversation is going on, verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, and then we could put in parentheses, and Jairus is still waiting, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Imagine the emotions that are going through Jairus. He had the anxiety, the concern, now how he must feel about Jesus, that you would waste your time with that woman that you could have taken care of tomorrow when my daughter is back here dying. And they give, her, give him this notice. And while he knows that she was dying, still that word, that notice is still a shock. Any of you that have ever heard that, I mean, I, I immediately thought about my dad. And while we, you know, we, the last time we saw him, we took off on vacation. He's, he's great. We had him reunited with my mom. They hadn't seen each other for months just because of COVID and the, and the whole housing, the nursing facility situation. Get them together in an apartment. We say goodbye to them. They're in a great shape. And Tuesday, this was on a Friday, and on Tuesday I get a call that he's not breathing. He wasn't breathing, so we put him on morphine. 
Um, you know, and so I knew he was in bad shape. I got to go minister to my mom. They allowed me to go because I was a pastor. I was down there that evening ministering to my mom and, of course, talking to my dad. He was not responding at all. But we go back to where we were vacationing, and I get a call later that evening then that he had passed away. And still that hits you, you know. It still hits you. But that's a parent. I can't imagine what he was feeling as a parent hearing that his 12-year-old daughter is, is dead. And I also think, I can't find any commentaries that make any, any comments on, on this, but the fact that when Jairus approached Jesus, he's approaching Jesus with the hope, the desperation that Jesus can heal his daughter. So I'm sure he's approaching Jesus as a healer, as a miracle worker, something at that level. But I notice that when they tell Jairus that his daughter's dead, they refer to Jesus as just the teacher. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I don't know if that's significant or not, but I just feel like they've sort of dropped Jesus' level of importance. You know, they don't see him as a, a healer anymore because they don't need it. You know, he's just, now in their minds, he's just a teacher again. But as soon as they tell Jairus that the daughter is dead, verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. I'm imagining him, because all of this is happening together, okay? He just talked to the woman. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't be afraid. And I see him pointing to her. Just believe, and she will be healed. And I guess Jairus must be okay with at least the proposition, because we see that in 51, when he, being Jesus, arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not anyone go, let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. The other people that were there would be professional mourners. Back in those days, everybody, even the poorest citizen, deserved two, at least two professional mourners. And these people would wail, and they would cry, and they would moan. And, and then sometimes, or it sounds like most of the time, there would be at least one flutist. Now, there funerals aren't like ours where you come in and everybody's quiet and it's you know it's very very calm very quiet you meet the family you there might be a viewing whatever these people are making as much noise as they can they're wailing they're crying the flute players are not playing a melodious tune they're playing off-key notes and just it's just this moment of chaos for some reason but all this they are all there they're already there and she just died so it seems like there was an expectation that this was going to happen. And Jairus, being a prominent citizen, would have lots of these mourners out there for her. And so in verse 52, meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus said, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. They all know better. They know she's dead. So verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 54, but he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Took her by the hand, which you don't do. You don't touch a dead body because now you're unclean. Jesus, remember, he just, he goes against all of these religious rules because he knows that he, his power is more powerful than what he's dealing with. He takes her by the hand 
says, my child, there again, he's using this term of relationship, this term of endearment. My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Now where we saw him take that woman from just surviving to thriving, he's taken this girl now and got her to the level of just surviving. But he doesn't want to stop there. He needs her to be thriving as well. So he says, it says, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. He's very practical. This girl has been sick. She's been laying in this bed for how long? Not eating because she's dying. I bet the poor little girl's hungry. Go get her a sandwich. So he's taking her from just surviving to now really thriving. And in verse 56, her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. That had to be so tough for them. I don't know if they were able to do that or not. But I imagine their joy when Luke went back to write all of this for Theophilus and he goes looking for eyewitnesses for all these accounts and hopefully he talked to Jairus and his wife and they got the chance to finally let it all out, you know, the stuff that they've been hiding. Luke had to get it from somewhere. Maybe he got it from Peter, James, and John, I don't know, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened because everyone would come after him and want every single relative that had ever passed away, he'd, they'd want them to, to restore them, bring them back to life. So we see a couple of things here. First of all, as I said, the lead up, we saw Jesus, how he, how he had authority over nature. He was able to stop the wind and the storm and so forth, so he, had, he showed his authority over nature. Then he showed his authority over the supernatural by casting those demons out. And today we see him show his authority over sickness with the woman with her condition and also his authority over death. He shows that he has authority over those things that we fear the most. He's telling Jairus, do not be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Think about our prayer requests, whether it's here on Sunday morning whether it's when we get together on Wednesday evening or even your own when you're at home. A large, large, I would, I would bet that more than 90% of your prayers are about sickness or death. How you're praying for the family that, that just lost a loved one or you're praying for someone who's about to have surgery or they've got this pain in, in, whatever, pain in their back or, or something wrong with their eye or or something with their arm, you know, all of us have something. We're always praying for sickness or for death. Jesus knows that those are our greatest fears. He has authority over them. Don't be afraid, just believe. The other thing, the obvious thing here too, is how he shows that he and God then, of course, do value these lives. These lives matter. All lives matter to God. A woman who had this, illness, this ailment that kept her cut off from the community, no one could get around her, and now she's restored, and she can start thriving. Her, her life has value. The little girl. Girls didn't carry a whole lot of status, 
her, she would have the fortune, good fortune of being part of this prominent family, but still, a young woman doesn't carry a whole lot of status in these communities. Jesus shows everyone, and especially her, that her life um, had value. Her life matters to Jesus and to God. I had an opportunity. I was, I was working on this stuff, and, I, and, and yesterday um, I wondered how I was going to apply this. And then I realized, well, it's because I've kind of been living this this week. And if you noticed, I don't have my computer. I didn't have time to type up a script this morning. Because this week, I found myself working with some people who needed some help, and I needed to show them that their, their life mattered. They had value. We have a, young, we have a man, um, a member of our congregation, who's living out of his pickup truck. Now, I'm not going to say his name because we're being recorded, and you know, I'll be happy to share it with you offline. Most, most of you, I think, probably know by now. But one of those blankets that we prayed for last week, that went to him. I was able to catch up with him um, this week because I wanted to make sure he had something planned for the weekend. We heard about the temperatures dropping to 12 degrees, you know, and there is no way that he should be out there. And we found out that he's definitely taking care of himself for those two days over the weekend. I'm, I'm still in the process of assessing his need, but I am kind of putting you on the ready. We have, an, we have a need. We have someone who is just, I would say, barely surviving. We need to get him to the point. We need to u- let God use us to help bring this man from just surviving to actually thriving. He needs a job. He needs a place to live. There's things that need to happen in, in steps and so forth. And I'll keep, you, I'll keep you posted. But I was working with all of this. And I was running around to hotels to find out rates, what their best rates were for long terms and so forth. But then while all of that was happening, I had another person from the congregation who had um, a phone, a jitterbug phone. And he needed to send this jitterbug phone back to, to someone. They needed to turn it in because they got a new phone or something. But those phone, that phone had pictures of a deceased loved one, some good memories that she, she didn't want to lose. And it was important to her. And I was able to find out how to pull up those pictures, get them to my computer. I was able to send them to CVS, and they printed them off. And it turned out that it actually worked out pretty well. I was, I was surprised. But in the midst of all of that almost like life and death situation with the other person, here's this person that comes along with just needing some pictures. And I don't want to say just, because that's, that's the trap that we could fall into. Well, come on, it's just pictures. No, they were very important to her. And while I was trying to work on this problem, I had no problem dealing with helping this person. That, this is what she needed to thrive, what she needed to make her life whole. Now, I am definitely not comparing myself with Jesus, and that's the next point. I need to make sure that when we do find a solution for that man, if we can help him in some way, and if God can help him, he needs to know that it's God. He needs to know that he, he's going to put his faith in God. It's not me. Okay? He, these people approached Jesus in desperation because they knew he was their only hope. So many of us, when we go to Jesus, it's because we put our hope in income, we put our hope in the healthcare system, we put our hope in a president, or we put our hope somewhere, and those things failed us, and then, okay, 
now we'll we'll pray to Jesus. Now we'll go to Jesus. We need to all recognize, and I think go to Jesus with this same feeling, almost the same feeling of desperation, but not as your last option, but as your only option. Go to Jesus recognizing he is your only hope. Don't put your hope Don't put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in the stock market. Don't put your hope in your job. Yes, rely on them. Yes, work with them. But put your hope only in Jesus. Make sure he's the one that you rely, that you go to as your hope. Hopefully this this man will will be able to help him, even if it's just sitting, talking with him, helping him make some decisions and so forth. There's, there's all sorts of complications here, but I'm hoping that if we need to, we can, I can count on his family here rallying together, finding ways that God can use us. God is the hope, but God can use us to, to help him. I also ask you, keep your eyes open. Make yourself aware. Who are these people that are crossing your path who just need a little bit of help to go from just surviving to actually thriving. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be aware of. Watch for those opportunities, because all lives matter to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's contained in it. And thank you for opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts to that truth. Father, help us to be aware of those people that you put in our paths who need help, who need your help, and you're going to use us to provide that help. Make us your instruments. We pray that our, our hearts would be more like yours. Our eyes would see people more like you do, and not shun away from people who aren't quite like us. Help us to see them as you do, as people who need some help. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, and we'll sing our final hymn, hymn 483.
So as you leave and be aware of opportunities to provide help where you can, may you do it with joy, joy in serving Jesus. And as you're doing it, may the Lord guide you and protect you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.